perception is distorted. Everything that we take in through the mind, we call ourselves seeing and taking in, but it's already in. According to the Course, it's already in our mind, and it's not taking in, it's actually projecting out. Now that's very interesting, because it brings up the question, the, the shadow, as I'm trying to develop the idea in my book about the shadow. I'm not that interested in what other people have to say about the shadow. No, because, because they go on and on about shadow work, and in their view, this could take seemingly years of trying to dismantle all of their various traumas and their pain body and to me it's a constant massage of the pain body making it the master making it the almost a god oh my pain body the object of worship yeah yeah so it it it's i it becomes an idol in that sense that it, it, is. it gets all your attention yeah and this is more ego nonsense going on, you know. This is the bullshit, how we bullshit ourselves. Like, we're, we're going to bullshit ourselves about the shadow and, and dealing with the shadow and, and you say, massaging. Saying that you're taking it down. You're, dis, you're disarming its pain, which has totally screwed you up. <laughs> so if you're to heal, it's going to be a slow process of realizing and massaging and licking every wound and realizing, oh, I was hurt so badly here. I seem to have lost something. I seem to have had people not love me sufficiently and on and on. The thing is, forgiveness doesn't need to massage these wounds. It doesn't, it simply says, I let it go and it is gone. I lay it down on the altar which God has provided me and worship to God Most High. I exchange it for my blessings. I exchange it for unconditional love. I exchange it for an awareness of grace and all the gifts of God and in, a, in a recognition of receiving those now that I've laid these my burden down, literally. I can now pick something else up in its place. I can now accept healing and I can move on from healing to assist in healing others if possible by means of providing unconditional love. Now, this is problematic because some people are not ready for unconditional love. They wouldn't know unconditional love if it hit them upside the head and they'd prefer that it didn't at all. Hit them anywhere, anyway. They don't want to deal with it. But, so it's not always... Bringing love into the world is very much of a conundrum sometimes. How am I going to do it? Because it's not really wanted. There's no room for it in this kind of a scenario. So, that's another thing that we would hope to... That we would maybe see something... Uh, that would, this would relate to in the polyvagal... There. Well, now, for the listener who doesn't have any frame of reference, I think the important thing to understand about the polyvagal theory is the fact that we're connected to other people so that when we see their facial expressions, we kind of feel what they feel. And this is, the, this is that um, nerve that connects our organs to our brain. And so there's, there's an intelligence at work. Uh, you could call it the heart or you could call it the stomach where emotions come from 
and in the ancient world some people would say the stomach and then later it was the heart and now we've dispensed with that completely and we only operate in the left brain it seems to me with all of our rationality and the transition of course I think began with the Greek philosophers and you know what evolved from um, Socrates and then on down the line and Socrates and Aristotle they kind of basically created this subject object approach to life and that became the foundation for Western culture and made science possible and so we are where we are today with cars and airplanes and automobiles and, and, and computers etc all because of the technology that was erupted from this train of thought the subject object division and what the left brain does is it constant it's like a scalpel it constantly divides things all the time and that's what it does right um, in addition to trying to protect the body what's lost is the the connection to the heart that seems that's still there it's still functioning that but it's not um, appreciated and why is that see what's what the left brain is doing is discriminating it's taking everything right. into further separation, right. further categorization, right. putting names and labels to make it seem to be as if in separate drawers to right. emphasize the separateness of everything. Right. Now, in the book um, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, Piercic, who's the author, literally went crazy thinking about this problem. And he, because he felt that something was missing in the world, and this division, this scientific approach to life, dividing everything, subject and object, was was dysfunctional, and that something essential, something, uh, and he called it quality. And he believed, and finally, he was able, after 20 years of, of working this out in his mind, he was able to come to the uh, realize that quality sits above subjective and objective, and that the, how do we know what is true and untrue? There has to be a source for that. And he, he gave a name to the source and he called it quality. And, uh, and later he realized it was probably the same thing that the Taoists called the Tao. Now, how does this uh, relate to source and God? Well, the Tao is a, it's a, it's almost a systematic approach to trying to understand God, really. Through. It's it's an approach to wholeness, to integration, you know, rather than separation. It isn't clearing itself entirely of separatedness, belief in separation. It's simply working in that direction. And I think that what we have to do is understand inherently the falseness of separate, the inherent and absolute falseness of separation across the board, and the absolute and inherent truth of joining and integration and inclusion across the board, on the other hand, and this is where the heart comes in. Right. The heart understands that natively. Yes. That's the difference. So, you're to get a wholehearted approach, you're taking into account the distortions of the mind together with the inherent automatic relationship of the heart to embrace what is. And so you're 
working with all you have. You're offering all, all you have available to go before the throne boldly seeking life and grace and hope and truth. And that is what you're called upon to do. That's your, that is life as a human being. That's your place, is to go to God for knowledge. But you must go as an integrated being. Now, when the Stoics really started talking about virtue and the importance of virtue, um, uh, where did they go wrong? They wanted to assign, you know, virtue, did they not? They wanted to make a value judgment, did they not? Isn't it, isn't it a judgment? How are we going to determine what is virtuous if not by judgment? Well, yes, I mean, um, I think that that's true. The, the thing is that I read... Marcus Aurelius's meditations that were not written for public consumption he was writing to himself as basically a diary and so you truly get an insight into what his inner thinking was and I, some of the other Stoics I don't have I don't care for because they seemed really self-righteous in their judgment as you say and that's the danger of virtue of course is you start to become self-righteous you think you're virtuous and other people are not and this is a problem and that just enhances separation Right. So you're back to square one with the problem of separation. And so virtue is not going to pull you out of that if, if you're being uh, enticed to, to, by your ego to think that you're better than other people in some way because something that you're doing. And this relates to the doing mode versus the being mode. So I read Marcus Aurelius and I think he was much more on the being mode side than the doing and the in the in the having mode he certainly separated himself from the having mode let's just say that he, he really did and so he, even though he was the emperor I mean of course if you're the emperor I mean why would you be stuck in having mode but many emperors are he was an exception and um, you know I think he's the, the ideal example of stoic what stoic philosophy should produce is is what's what Marcus Aurelius was and I think that that has real value in this world. And I, so I'm a proponent of virtue. And my book talks about, you know, uh, how important virtue is. Now, I realize that what you're bringing to the table is more of the mystic view. And you're trying to emphasize the heart over the mind. You're trying to emphasize connection to source. You're trying to say separation is illusion. All of these things are mysticism. They, they, the, that's arrived at when you step into being, right? But the people that read my book are not going to relate to that because they have no frame of reference. And so I have to, I, I feel well, in like... In this society, we have no, no frame of reference in the West for integration, for true inclusion, you know, for true freedom, you know, and for, especially for freedom from fear and freedom from guilt. We have no basis of, in our experience for believing that these things are either true or possible. So we have to open up a frontier in our own awareness of the universe and our beingness. We do not know ourselves. We have never discovered ourselves yet. 
and we are our beingness is an unknown quantity at this point. The undiscovered country, which might scare us it, off it does. altogether. Just like just like unconditional love would scare us, because there's a that that's what we're talking about when you say stepping into being. You're stepping into unconditional love. Isn't that true? That's exactly true. It's exactly. And aren't true. people terrified of this prospect because it's the big unknown? They feel it's like that death. They feel that love has hurt them, and right. they feel that, that love will yet hurt them. Right. That they have to protect themselves. Right. And yet, all they have to look at is the past, in which they did not know what unconditional love was, and they did not experience it. Unconditional love is only available from God Most High. And the awareness of how to live love comes from through God and through the Holy Spirit and the various channels and paths of God. So a human being cannot just say, well, I am going to love you unconditionally because I love you so deeply. I love you so much, I'm going to give you good love. Is that unconditional? Did you just open up the ability to love unconditionally by loving someone deeply and profoundly? No, you did not. Yeah, but it does make your heart light, does it not? Uh, loving another does until they do that which displeases you, or you feel you weren't expecting that, or how could you have done that? How could you have said that, thought that? You know? And then... You're on the rampage. It's like, well, now I have to push you back. I have to limit you so you don't hurt me again. Or I have to get away from you. Or I have to try this again somewhere else down the road when I'm ready. After I recover from all of this garbage I went through from you. So then the heart is not light at all. Not at all. You were talking about months or years of depression. Right, so this thing that you're referring to as love uh, in terms of like relationships between people um, could be what the Greeks called uh, eros, right? This would be the romantic type of love and uh, or erotic perhaps. And so there but there's higher forms of love, agape, which would be you know used in the Bible as love for God. So it, should we even talk about erotic love as love? Um, no, I mean maybe we should refer to it as uh, as a uh, addiction that a chemical addiction uh, that produces reciprocal narrowing and is uh, uh, hijacks our relevant realization mechanisms in our brain because it's salient. And the salience is what's driving it. But it's an opportunity to have satisfaction of the salient because then we say okay I can both gratify can experience that which is salient to me by giving to you all that you need and all that I'm capable of giving at a much higher level of being than I've done I'm going to pour it out to you I'm going to sex you up I'm going to smooth you out I'm going to make you purr, and you're, we will just be 
like two peas in a pod. We will complete each other. We will grow together in in bliss. And uh, and during the process, it just so happens this is a process by which my what is salient to me will uh, actually be uh, constantly satisfied, satisfied and, and enjoyed. So I'm very enthusiastic about pouring this love out to you because we'll each gratify each other and we'll each heal each other and we'll each grow each other and you know, now that's how it looks going into it sounds, a statement. Sounds that, wonderful. Yeah, it sounds wonderful. We're going to we love each other so much that we're going to enlarge and deepen and heal each other. Yeah. And provide each other's unspoken needs. Yeah. Unspeakable I, needs. I want that. Yeah. Yeah. Give it to me. I'll sign up for it today. Um, and, and, the, and so we set out, and usually one figures that that's what's going to happen, and the other acts like they're on the same page, but they don't have a clue what's being talked about, it seems to me. It yeah, starts out being one-sided. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I experienced that very thing myself, um, and that was three years of misery that led to more suffering than I care to remember. Right. Um, yeah, so that could be very painful. So then, because people have this experience, where they're they're setting themselves up for failure, basically, you know, they have all these expectations. You know, they think that, that that as you described, this love, the romantic side of it, the initial stages of it, uh, is going to be we're going to heal each other, and we're going to life will be so much better. We're going to live in and, bliss. And I remember you used to listen to a song all the time, which India was it not India Ray who sang, "I'm ready for love." Uh-huh. It was just a beautiful song. Uh-huh. Which is like the anthem of this whole point of view. Uh-huh. It says, I'm ready for this now. And, uh, you know, it took myself, me getting myself together, but I'm ready to go. I'm together and I'm going in this now. Yeah. And... That's what people do. Repeatedly, and I, I, I have to confess, it describes my life. I mean, I guess I might be what you would call a romance addict because you know I'll, I'll experience the pain of unrequited love, you know, because I'm so in, in infatuated with somebody who can't reciprocate, can't return it, can't give back, uh, and then. But the, how do you even identify such a person to avoid them? How do you mark them and say, "Oh, you are, you have the mark of the beast. You are a person who can't love." Well, you know. To me, um, that I've, you know, there are people. The, the problem for me is I identify somebody that that I uh, can that I can love, and it doesn't matter to me whether they can return or not. Exactly. And so exactly, that's how it starts out on the, when it's one sided. Yes. You say, okay, I'll make up your deficiencies yes. in this relationship. Yes. And so then you pour yourself into it with the expectation that they're going to at some point reciprocate. What they, which they never do, they or never do, and so they um, don't. They don't. You, as you get to know them, you realize they couldn't. Right. Or they do the best they can in exactly. love, but it's not what you, right. satisfies you. Exactly. So and it's like the classic line that says that I need to be loved in the in the way that I want to be loved. Right. And so if you have a bunch of human beings running around uh, saying that they need to, they. You know they're trying to find the love that they want 
and fitting their piece of the puzzle into somebody else's and it doesn't really fit but they try to make it fit and that's what seems to be going on in the world in the terms of romance and what we're talking about arrows setting erotic. up an expectation and setting yeah. up an expectation is setting up for failure that's it yeah so you know because um, you were saying if you loved me yeah this is what it would look like yeah this is, if you loved me you would have done this you would have done that Okay, so uh, yeah. Okay, and now I'm mad because I you were supposed to love me because I loved you, and where did this all go wrong? And obviously, you know, you didn't love me because here's the proof. Okay, so the whole the whole thing after it's done is an absolute train wreck because you figure I went in with an expectation and an understanding and a commitment to love. And I thought it was going to work. And I got I thought hurt. It was enough. I got hurt. I thought it was enough. And I just, I, I'm still in pain. And it's a lot of pain. And then you do it again. After a little healing, perhaps, or maybe not. And, and then what I find is then you become addicted to the pain. So and then that, there's that Barry Manilow song that was in the end of the movie Foul Play years ago. I love that movie. That's one of my favorites of all time, so I remember that song. But... It's like I'm, I'm ready to go again. Well, they say that pain is a good teacher, and you would think that once you've got burned by your, if you're setting yourself up with all these false expectations, and it doesn't happen, that you would learn to stop doing that. But in my experience, that's not the case. In my experience, is we return to the familiar, and if the familiar is pain, then we become addicted to the pain, and we look for people to hurt us. Well, I think there hope springs eternal. On the other hand, as well. And there is hope that there is a belief that people can be copacetic, that they can join, that they can share, and that they can truly love each other. But those people are not Americans. What are they? Are they Earth people? I don't know, but if uh, I've dated a lot of women, and I can tell you that the only relationships that I've ever had that were like unconditional, approaching unconditional love were with people who came to this country from other places. Okay, if you meet someone who's a total American, born and bred, forget about it. You are asking for trouble. So, when you consider what we're saying here, how much of a desire is there, or a hope, to reach out, you know, to unconditional love and really begin to believe that there's a future in it? Are we saying that there's no future in unconditional love? And if we're saying that, are we saying that we really are afraid of it and we're not going to uh, embrace it in the present moment? Well, you lost me there. Um, I'm, maybe it's because I'm still thinking about the foreign women. A lot of men will date foreign wives. They'll get, they'll get on a website to meet someone from another country. Um, and then they meet someone from Russia, and Russian women are even worse than Americans. Oh, oh my no. God! So you're in big trouble there. There oh, might be big beautiful, trouble. big. There that's, might be, the, that's that's your worst. They're so beautiful, and then yeah. it's a trap. Oh yeah. My God. Oh yeah. Because in Russia, women are taught by their culture that if uh, someone is a sucker and you don't take advantage of that, then you're the sucker. Wow. Wow. 
So they come over here and they become real money grubbing. I mean, when people become come to this country, like Filipino women are some of the most uh, genuine loving people, but you have to get the ones from the country. If you get one from the city, that's a different story. And if you move them over here to the U.S. and they become Americanized within a few years, oh my God. Talk about some pain. You are going to feel the pain body you never felt before. Okay? So this is the problem with romantic love is that it, it, it's, it's salient to us. Uh, uh, it appeals to us at that polyvagal you know, level, right? To the heart and to the mind and to the body. But, um, but the thing is, it's a substitute for um, the real, authentic, genuine, unconditional love that, uh, that we, we're substituting. We're trying to find a substitute. We're, in a way, we are trying to uh, to have a substitute because we're afraid of the real thing. But in another way, we've always always been afraid of the real thing, and we never have really understood, allowed ourselves to approach it, or to experience, or or to understand what it is. And for two people who are both unaware of what it is to to come together and say, well, we're going to love each other this way. And they've never even experienced or believed in that kind of love before. It's like a utopia. It's a, it's a conception, a conceptualization of wouldn't it be nice if we loved each other perfectly in the ideal world. And the world is not ideal, and there is no preparation to forego immediate gratification to create an ideal world. So when a person says, well, now I'm hurt, now I'm mad, now I'm miffed, I'm bummed, I'm surprised at what you did, I'm not happy. Okay, how do you deal with this? If you say, okay, uh, forgiveness, unconditional love is forgiveness and acceptance and realizing you know, who you are really beyond this. But you're running amok in the present moment. You're just completely tearing everything up in this relationship and in my world, and it isn't going to work this way. So you've got to have both people deeply sign on to an understanding of unconditional love, which is somewhat... approachable and realistic and can be agreed on by each party is this is what it really is and how do you get to this point in a romantic relationship where you dissect what you're really what kind of love you're really after yes and this is a this is a, it's interesting that you brought this subject up because it's been on my mind and I, so I'm really shocked and surprised that you're talking about the very thing I'm thinking about and what I've this is the new thing that has occurred to me is that um, I look at the women that I've been attracted to over the years and I found that I was most attractive to women who were confident and carried themselves with dignity and had self-respect and all of this and then I you know and then I found that I got hurt by these women for the very reasons that you stated because um, they're so independent and they have their own agenda and they're not really caring about me you know, and I'm always chasing that love that never seems to happen, right? This unconditional love. It just, because you say both parties have to have it. And when I realized that these 
women that attract me with their confidence and their in their independence and all that it, th those that's the worst kind really from my experience and so but I've made a shift to start to find uh, a, a person who is more what would they in society we would call it low self-esteem somebody with low self-esteem someone who's shy someone who's not socialized someone who's not um, confident and I find that in and and from a foreign country okay so put those all together and you and you have the perfect woman someone who's shy she, she maybe speaks a foreign language doesn't feel confident in this society and uh, keeps people at a distance because that's why they're shy they keep people at a distance because they know they can get hurt because they have a lot of love to give and people take advantage of them now that is the perfect woman well as long as there isn't a story that is running on such uh, high energy that it will not do anything except generate according to that story and continue that script there's a real damn a real fear that when you have a story like that of I have a lot of love to give, but nobody could receive it, and no, and people hurt me, and and I lost, and all of these types of things. And this is your narrative, and you believe this. This is your history, uh, how you remember it, and what this. So it becomes your persona of what you're projecting into the future. This it's, itself is not truly loving. Uh, yourself unconditionally. Well, you become addicted to pain and you're trying to call yourself loving. Yeah, exactly. And this is what happens to two people when they try to love each other many times. They, they, haven't, they haven't really dealt with the fact, what is love going to look like to you? The kind of love, if I loved you perfectly, what would, I, what would it feel like and taste like and smell like and all these things for you? Okay. So they haven't gone through that. They simply assume, if I love you, you will receive it as love, and you will know it as love, and you will be convinced that I love you, and you will be made happy, and you will be fulfilled and enriched by my love, because you believe in love. You believe love does that. Yeah, well, that brings to mind that book that was written, The, the Four Types of Love. It lists four types of love. One is spending time with somebody. Another one is doing activities together. Another one is um, giving gifts. And I forget what the fourth one was. But th this guy wrote a book. And I, uh, it helped me understand my father. Because he tends to give gifts as his way of expressing love. Huh. And my way of expressing love is to uh, spend time together, right? And so I would just love to go to the movies with my father. That would just sit, huh. sit there in a movie theater huh. and watch a movie. Huh. That would, to me, feel like I, you know, huh. a wonderful uh, relationship uh, is happening. Huh. But he hates that. And so we never went to the movies. I can count on one hand how many movies I saw with my father, and those memories are precious. But they meant nothing to him. Huh. Okay. Well, now that raises a whole other specter. And that is... You think that the other person, if they're going to love you, they're going to be copacetic. They're going to be on the same wavelength. And the, to find that that means nothing to them, and it means everything to you, is horrifying in a way. It, it really it causes psychic pain. It's, yeah. a, it's toxic emotion. Right. 
toxic emotion that produces psychic pain that will that'll be buried in your psyche for the rest of your life and you'll draw on it for for the to uh, titillate your pain body because your pain body wants some more pain so you'll think about that memory in order to feel some pain because you're addicted to the pain and then your your whole narrative and script just got elevated once again to produce more of the same <laughs> Well, the story, it's the Somebody Done You Wrong song. Oh, yeah. And you're playing oh, yeah, the Somebody absolutely. Done Wrong song. May West. You know, it's like you go through the day, you got 24 hours, you spend eight hours sleeping, you spend eight hours working, you've got another eight hours to do whatever you do, and and during that 16 hours of, of work and non-work, the Somebody Done Me Wrong song gets played over and over and over in moments of when you're well, not look at country music for instance they turn it on the on the radio turn on country how many of how historically <laughs> classically yeah, yeah how much of the body of 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 that type of music is about yeah. exactly this thing yeah and it could be just as simple as the fact that your father shows love by giving gifts you want to receive love by spending time, and these things are not harmonious. They are not joining. So There's what are something... you supposed to do? So you, do you take a psychological profile test? You say we're, <laughs> we're both INFPs, I, yeah. INFJs, yeah. I, can be, I can be INFP and you can be INFJ? What do you decide? Well, that doesn't work, I found out. Yeah? No. Well, it's... <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh, you, you could take, there's lots of different personality tests, and if you were to find the right combination of somebody uh, that was ideally suited for your receiving love, and they were ideally suited for receiving love, and you could both give and receive love, then maybe you could bliss it out for the rest of your life. And I suppose there are people who've done that, or at least come close to that. But st still, this erotic love is not the same as agape is it well it turns into neurotic love mm. it does look at it look at it. yes yeah. look at it yeah it starts as erotic and it turns into neurotic <laughs> oh my gosh that's true yeah uh that's so funny um so we're really in a hopeless case here. This is like, there's no there's no getting out of life without pain. I think one of the important things I've learned, though, is that there are some kinds of pain that you can ignore. In other words, you you know... For you, a while, there's a, there's a time frame for how long you can ignore it, though. Mm. And if it's being added to every day in your mind, mm -hmm. it's getting worse, and, mm -hmm. and you're feeling like it's going to blow up, you're going to blow up, there, there's no... Yeah. It's got to be addressed. It's got to change. Well, you can also ignore the sources by removing yourself from the source of the pain. So and that's can... what happens. That's why it becomes neurotic. Mm. That's how it becomes neurotic. Mm. Because they then, okay, it starts out being erotic. <laughs> and you start withholding sexual gratification from uh. each other as you distance from each other. Yeah. That's just one one part of it. Yeah. Okay. but And, and so you withdraw from the relationship. You withdraw from the emotional availability. Right. Okay, and now, finally, the other one is saying, well, I don't feel like you love me. And you're thinking, well, that's just fine. Finally, you're realizing what it feels like not to feel loved, because I've felt that way for a long time. Yeah. So, you know, that's projecting your shadow. Yeah. So you have you have this feeling that you're not being loved, and then you act out in some way to hurt the other person. Right. And so that you can, so they can taste a little of their own medicine. 
<laughs> but they don't view it that way. They don't view that they're well, tased in their own medicine. <laughs> no. Well, that's that. You're both neurotic at this yes, point. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So um, it, it's 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 just a lot of insanity that's going on, and uh, and so the whole thing we're talking about what brought this up is how we're going to bring unconditional love into the setting and into our life and love in our life have a life of love how can we love more and better and live a life of love how can we how can we live loving God a number one there was a beautiful book title years ago yeah, called Loving God. Oh, yes, that was Charles Colson. Yes. And, uh, you know, this should be our concern. How are we going to live a life of loving God? Now, well, we're going to do it through living love. Mm. But how do we bring it down when it's going to be... Okay, we have to bring it to people who don't know unconditional love, who cannot reciprocate that way, who don't have a clue what we're thinking, and perhaps don't even care. Yeah, so, you know, Charles Colson was in prison because of the Watergate scandal, and he was the only one that went to prison for any length of time, by the way. And um, that's where he had his conversion, if I remember right. I think so. Uh, and so... After prison, um, you know, he talked about being born again. And uh, his wife, who's, they were both Catholic all their lives, she's like, what are you talking about? You've been a Christian since I met you. He's like, no, I'm born again now. And she didn't get that at all. She just couldn't comprehend that. That didn't even compute. It didn't make sense. But Charles Colson went on to write several wonderful books. Loving God was the seminal work. And the uh, uh, if I was to point out the, the 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 main message that I get from it is that from Charles Colson's understanding of Christianity, which is now uh, traditional, more evangelical type Christianity, the born again type Christianity, uh, he, so he stepped from being the nominal Christian Catholic into this new thing of of a relationship with God and loving God and what he emphasized was obedience. If you love God, you will obey God. Well, and there are some there are some romantic relationships, I guess, that they view if you love me, you will obey me. So, you know, I mean this this is one take. This is one way of saying you know what you expect love to look like but now for me I would not approach unconditional love as obedience because obedience leaves a bad taste in people's mouths nowadays I think I've heard other people point this out and listened to what they were saying and thought about it and realized you, you might have a point there I think that obedience is like always being told what to do and not being free to follow your heart. Um, and, and, and that's the experience we have in this world. Uh, the experience we have in this world is we're dealing with false authority on our left, false authority on our right, 
false authority above us, false authority beneath us, false authority within us, and consequently we don't want to obey. And because why should we obey some false authority? And then when we're told to obey God, then we start thinking, well, this sounds like another false authority to me. And, you know, I mean, what, what actually will you define obedience to God? Will you tell me exactly what it is that we are obeying? Well, are we obeying God's law? Are we obeying... Well, we certainly need to obey God's law, which is, you know, includes remember the Sabbath day, which is the seventh day. You don't work and you keep that day holy. So as Christians, we're going to obey that by worshiping on Sunday, which is not the or Sabbath. Or on Saturday. No. no. Or on Friday. No. We're going to obey God by worshiping on Sunday. Even though the scripture clearly says the Sabbath is the seventh day and Sunday is the first day. So we've changed it somewhere along the line and still call it obedience. How is this possible? So How can o- you claim- now obedience is becoming legalism and trying to split hairs right. to figure out what we can and can't get away with. Ex- yes, and the Jews were very good at that. They had the law and they became lawyers. And they were told not to engage in usury, but they figured out how to get around that one. But Jesus comes and says, I have a new law, and it is the law of love. Mm. Love the Lord thy God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength. So they missed the boat. They, they missed the boat. They did. And now, when you think about this, loving God with all your heart, okay, loving God with all your mind, okay, and loving God with all your strength. This is what you think, what you feel, and what you do. Right. All of that. All of the modes. Think, feel, do. Okay? Think is all loving God with all your mind. Heart. Uh, heart is, well, the, that's the feel part, right? Yep. And then with all your strength. The well, this, the beingness and the doingness, right? The, the engagement is the doing, the yeah, strength. Okay. Right. So, so think, feel, do. Love God with all your think, feel, do. Now, where does beingness come into that? Or is that describing beingness? Beingness was the undercurrent, the, the foundation upon that you have in formlessness. You bring it. That's who you are. You are beingness. When you come into physicality and adopt or try to adopt or even fashion other personas to claim as your identity or to show others, you know, to seem to be your identity, then all of that is a veneer painted over your beingness, totally clouds and hides your actual beingness. You have now substituted this other thing for your beingness, a persona, a a projection, a A a character, a mask, all of this now, what you prefer to be, so this agent, agent, arena, uh, arena situation. Well, you put, yeah, and so there are different arenas and you put on different masks when you enter different arenas different personas that fit the arena. So if you're playing football, you wear a football uniform. If you're playing tennis, you dress appropriately. And if, uh, if the football player shows up on the tennis court, that doesn't seem to work. That doesn't make sense. Uh, so we adopt our 
a persona or the mask that we wear. And it's like we've been to Mardi Gras for 10 years running and we have a mask from every single year. We have all of our collection of masks that we can don to create the right effect or the right relationship. Right, yes. Yeah, so um, and that's, 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 that's interesting. Um, so what are we saying? We're ultimately saying that if we're to have a life that is true and bona fide, it's, gonna, it's got to be true to us. It's got to be true to our beingness, to who we are in the formless. Prior to form, outside of form, where we're headed, we, our future is formlessness. So our real truth is absolutely is formlessness, is informlessness. Right now we're experiencing form. We seem to be in form, and we could even think that we are form. We are not form, but we could sure conclude that we were. You know, what helps me to, when you, earlier we were talking about this Paul Vagel theory, that, it's, that what's going on with the human being in its, um, its relevant realization, it's what the conscious mind does, it, it tries to find, because uh, there's too much information in our environment, and so we, we have, to, we have a, our, our mind... And that includes the the vagal nerve because there are senses that come in from um, ex, that are emotional. Uh, it's an emotional intelligence that's working uh, alongside of our cognitive ability. And we have the left brain and the right brain doing what they do. And it's all doing this thing that we could call relevant relevance realization. We're trying to look out there and say what's relevant to me. And what's relevant to me in this room would be the chair that I can put objects on uh, and what would be relevant to me in this room would be like the calendar that tells me what day of the you know if I, if I want to keep track of time what's relevant to me in this room would be the door that I would open to get out of this place I, the, the door handle is relevant to me because I have to grasp it and turn it to open the door so that there's certain things that have that I recognize instinctively you might say that have uh, but then there are other things that completely miss you know, they might have been there all the time, but I never saw them because I don't. They, they're not relevant to me. What's relevant to me is being able to grasp the door handle and be able to twist it to get out of here if I have to get out of here. So that's like the most relevant thing in the room, okay? And uh, uh, and so this is how we we navigate through our environment is we do this relevant realization thing. Well, it may not even be a current relevance. It may be a past relevance that we're even seeing. So we don't have to solve the relevance question every time we come in the room. We right. don't have to look and identify what is relevant. We already know. Yeah. Yeah, it's like muscle memory. Right. Yeah. And so, um, you know, we, uh, we, it's like riding a bicycle. So we come in the room and we are not seeing course is we're mm. not seeing and this is just an illustration of the fact we are not seeing we are seeing the past we are seeing judgments we made in the past about what was relevant we are seeing memories of you know of what is a table well i remember a table being this way and i remember the doorknob being this way and i that's what i'm looking for is those things that i remember they're this way and then i that's all that's what i'm tuning into because they're relevant all, of, all that we know about them is from the past. All that we connect with them in terms of relevance is from the past. 
And these things should behave according to our wishes and the, the way we anticipate and expect them to always behave. You know, For example, if I put my key in the door and I turn to unlock the door and it doesn't work, then I get mad. Why? I'm getting mad because in my head I'm telling myself a story and my story is this should work. And when that word should comes up, then we get angry because the world should be a certain way. Things should people should talk to me a certain way, or they should not talk to me a certain way. And so we do the should, 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 should thing in our self-talk, in our own internal dialogue. And this is the source of anger. We get angry We're because things up are expectations yes. based on the past. Yes. Saying this is when it works optimally, this is what it looks like. Yes. And it should be that way. Well, it's it's like if I'm gonna invest in this, I need it to I need it to happen this way. Right. Yeah, and so we can get very discombobulated if, if things don't um, go the way we think they should. And it's, it's, so it, it's not accepting the world the way it is. It's saying, show me the world I want to see. But what if we accept the world the way it is and we see it in terms of now instead of the past? What if we try to open our eyes and be shown what it is right now? Present moment awareness? And, and and also the awareness of the other person as they truly are. In the moment. In the moment not and with, in eternity. It, but not Outside in the past. Of time, but not, yes. not looking to the past or the future. Yeah. So I'm not saying I'm going to try to shape you into what I want you to right. be or what I need you to do or no. The eternal now. The eternal now, which is as near eternity as anything can be, according to to Well, I think someone said it very beautifully. Uh, I have a quote on my phone, and I could pull it up and read it. It says that the eternal, that the now is all there is, and therefore, if you want to, uh, if you want to live forever and eternity, then just live in the now, because it is the, because that is eternity now. So if you bring unconditional love if down... You, if you want you, eternal life, live in the now. Right, right. Which is essentially what heaven is as well. It's the same, it's the same thing. When you cross over, there will be no difference. You'll still be in the now. You've been in the now. You will be in the now. There's no difference between eternity and, and time at that point, really, is there? Because you're right there at the edge of it. Fresh, just that it comes around the corner. So, the the thing is, if you are going to be able to change the way you see, and you're going to say, "I I desire to see. I I want to see clearly. I want to see another world. I want to see what unconditional love is. I want to be able to live love." I don't want to constantly be interacting with the world with a lack of love. I want to bring love in the same way that I have received. I want to receive and give and receive and give at the same level, in the same kind, in the same way. And now you're talking about uh, stepping into beingness. Right. As opposed to being stuck in the having mode and doing mode. And that's going to cause me to abandon my script and my story and my narrative, or whatever, how we're going to refer to it. The shadow that all, was being all projected. Of, all of 
I, I now have to be authentic and I have to come with the awareness that this is like a, the famous tabula rasa. It's an empty slate upon which I can write. It's not an already determined set of limitations and set of characteristics. These are now things that I can embrace, I can invite, and I can experience. And, the, and it's unrestricted, it's wide open. So then, what happens if I approach a relationship with someone and say, okay, a little lovely hoo-hoo, I want to love you unconditionally, and I want to be loved unconditionally, and I'm able to do this. I've lived enough, I can live unconditional love now. I know what it is. I absolutely know what it is, and I can love unconditionally. I can forgive I can constantly forgive, I can embrace with an awareness of seeing past the things that might frustrate or might limit, to see the truth of my mate eternally, to see the grandeur. Okay, now what? What happens if they cannot? Well, then you've just, you've just, you know, you just just dug a trench and jumped into it. What know? if they can't see their own grandeur? What if they're not willing to? What if they're just afraid to leave their script? To not be in control of how they are being viewed in the world as they see it? Well, you're asking for trouble. I think that's the wrong person to get involved with. So how do you determine, okay, now the Course is telling you to love with equanimity which means all without condition. I love all without condition. Okay? There's nobody that's excluded. It's a, a Sherwin-Williams covers the world uh -huh. type of approach to unconditional love. But if I'm to hook up emotionally and erotically and all of these things with another human being, how do I know how and when I can love them unconditionally if I can. In other words, how do I establish a bridge and a safe place for true love so that we don't mangle each other? Well, it's problematic if you're talking about uh, uh, romantic love because... I now, am here. Now, I am here. Now, because it seems to me that uh, unconditional love is unconditional love. But when and, and if you just if you if you had no romantic partner in your life and you were just about uh, unconditional love for everybody, then equanimity would work. But when you single out one person to be your special fufu, then all of a sudden there's a disturbance in the force because no longer are you uh, engaged in unconditional love across the board. Uh, now you've chosen someone to be special, to have a special relationship with. And as wonderful as that might seem in the initial stages, it it can disrupt your entire world. Well, what if, in, now in course terms, when it talks about specialness, it's meaning a relationship where basically it's like you and me against the world. It's not a relation, I come to you as a sub-relationship of my relationship with God Most High. And you come to me as a sub-relationship your relationship with God Most High. 
Now that's not considered by the course, in my understanding, to be a special relationship. Okay, so so we have a special relationship. <coughs> a special relationship is asking for trouble. Absolutely, it is trouble. It's just trouble itself. Right. So if you know what a special relationship looks like, feels like, and 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 you've you you've made that mistake a few times, then you can steer clear of it. I would hope. And no, so, I do, I disagree with that. I don't think you can steer clear on your own. You can't because you cannot. You ha- you have to. You have two people in this relationship. Well, I haven't been successful at steering clear of it. So, um, and, and I'm 53 years old, and I've had a lot of relationships, and they all turned out to be special and painful. Especially so, painful. Especially painful. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so. Now, but I'm, but hope springs eternal. So I do think that at some point, you know, there is a possibility that you can be an evolved being and enlightened, to use the word broadly, and have this beingness that is the predominant uh, identity, and and um, you're in the present moment, and you you're you're able to, you know, use meditation as a tool, and and you're doing you're. You're getting your uh, relationship with God to, to be manifest so that you are, Jesus said, be a light into the world, and you're a light into the world, okay? You're not stuck in the having-doing mode. You're not doing the structure and At skepticism. this is your assessment of yourself and your situation. However, when you get into a relationship, it's a mirror. Mm. And it's going to show you your deficiencies and when you first see them, they're going to frustrate you. Mm. They're going to be painful. And that's the shadow going on. Well, it's showing you. Yes, yeah, that's showing right. you that, which you haven't yeah. been willing to see. Right. And at first you're going to say, aha, uh-huh, it's out there. It's you, actually, that are the deficiency. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to realize, no, that you're my mirror. You're yep. showing me my deficiency. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we are going to have deficiencies. Right. And we are going to show each other our deficiencies. Yep. So we have this in mind. But but unconditional love can survive that, can can heal that, it can. can rise above that. So you know that it can, can if yeah. if both sides understand. Yes. And are committed to unconditional love. But what if what if the other one is like, you know, I'm a Christian or whatever I am. I'm an American. I'm an American or whatever. Oh, I you're am. in trouble. You're in big trouble now. Yeah, well, I, and whatever I do, I'm, I love you, and you'll just know that I love you. You'll just know that. And so we'll have separate bedrooms, we'll have separate lives, we'll get together, maybe we'll have meals together, and maybe we'll have sex together, but that's the extent of our relationship. We'll just keep it a business relationship. I think that's where it winds up. It winds up that way because as you withdraw from each other so that you won't get hurt and won't hurt each other and etc., well, that's what kings and queens did. You know, like people royalty, they would have separate bedrooms. Oh, I know it. And there was a reason for that. Well, many, many, many <laughs> married people do that. They move that's into becoming, separate bedrooms. Yeah, that's a thing now. You can Google it. It's becoming a trend. How about that? What does that say about things? It's yeah. like people have finally... They have their end of the house and you have yours. That's now, it. Is that what you went in hoping for? Some of these people ha- are going in with that in mind because of their past experiences. No, they've learned that it doesn't work any other way for them. Wow. Yeah. So, um, so are we, I mean, 
what do we dare hope for in terms of unconditional love? Can two people, you know, mates, love each other unconditionally? And do they dare hope that it can work? Mm-hmm. And what is necessary mm-hmm. in order for them to share well, and truly be committed to each other in this type of relationship? Yeah. I, the advice... I've never experienced this, but the advice that I've heard over and over again is that true love should be effortless. True love is effortless because it's just the heart. The heart emitting through the heart chakra, the green light of the heart chakra. So if you get into out. if you get into a romantic relationship and you find that it's a lot of work, that ought to tell you something. Well, the work comes from fear. It's realization there are perhaps some problems, some snags, some misunderstandings, some uh, realization that maybe you're on a different page than I thought you were on. I thought we were on the same page. I thought, see, this is deeply painful to ever come to this understanding. I thought you were on the same page, and you're not. Oh, my gosh. How did this happen? Why aren't you on the same page? <laughs> Well, we, we do set ourselves up for uh, uh, disappointment in many ways. Like I told you the story of how I had to go to the stand in front of the judge, and he pretty much dismissed my case when I asked him to, and I walked out of there feeling disappointed because I didn't get to tell my story. Right, right. I wanted to tell my story. I had been rehearsing the story all week, and I was going to stand in front of the judge, and I was going to tell him how what really happened and the whole business. And... Now, how many relationships do we go into rehearsing our story? Exactly. See, this is the thing where you wake up and you say, oh, my romantic partner is not what I expected. They don't believe the way I did. I'm like, this, how did this happen? Well, you, you did it to yourself, didn't you? You had a story. You assumed that this was a shared story. You never established the fact that they have a different story. And so you get down the road and all of a sudden uh, what was bliss is now not going to work. It's just not going to work. And this happens because there's a lapse of communication. The person won't talk to you about where they are. You don't know how to get them to open up. You don't know how to... You're saying, well, I don't think that you trust me. You need to trust me. So that you can open up. Well, I'm very private. I'm very... Okay. It's like... If there's to be a mutually satisfactory relationship where both people's needs can be met and they can be fulfilled and they need to communicate and they need to be open and they need to be vulnerable. And if they're not, then this is going to be well, heartbreak hotel. You're exactly right. You just said it. You just I could quote what you, the last sentence you just spouted out and say that is the conclusion of the matter because that is really the, the problem that manifests over and over again is and so you have it on both sides you have one party who wants to withhold information because they for whatever reason they they don't trust they're not vulnerable for whatever reason and then on the other hand you have the other party who assumes that the other person has been forthwith and forthcoming and is vulnerable and is you know and it, so there's this assumption on the part of one partner, and there's a withholding on the other partner. So this breakdown in communication happens, and that's the. It does. There's no recovery. I mean, you're done. I mean, that's it. Yeah. No matter and, how you don't want it to be done, 
you have you can find no bridge, no way to cross this. Right. And so this is what my experience has been when it comes to romance is just a repeat of this scenario over and over and over. Okay. Now I have learned from this to be more vulnerable, to be more loving, to be more accepting, to be more forgiving, and to not do the shadow projecting. So I'm more aware of my own faults. And at some point, I believe that I'll meet a, someone, a partner in life that I can then, uh, that will be well suited for me in this way, and that we'll have a beautiful, wonderful, blissful relationship. But it took me going through a lot of pain and suffering and self-reflection and shadow work, if you want to call it that, to get where I am today. And I'm in a good place. So I believe that, you know, I, I'm more loving and accepting of uh, than ever before. But what I found well, is... this is what you feel, in a, invariably, uh -huh. this is uh -huh. what you feel at, at the conclusion. Uh -huh. After you recovered from a bad scenario. Yeah. You realize, well, I've been through all these things. It's helped me. It, I'm, I came forward. I'm grateful for every step that led me to where I am because now, okay, I can do this. Right. And then... You think, well, I'm going to rely on the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God is going to inform me, you know, who I should meet, where I should go. And then you meet people, and they're like a bloody disaster. And you think, well, why was I to meet them? Are they a mirror of, am I not where I thought I was and they're mirroring all this and it's actually like I'm at the bottom of the barrel and I have to start over. <laughs> well, I don't know about what your experience may have been, but I can only speak to mine and I could say that I attracted a partner that I knew was going to hurt me. And I wanted to be hurt in, wow. the, in every kind of way I could be. Wow. I wanted to be hurt up one side mm -hmm. down and down the other. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to feel the full extent of pain that was possible. And I did. I experienced the pain up one side and down the other. And, and I, for three years, I went through the most painful thing of, of un, you might call it unrequited love, but this person tried to love me in the best they could, but they were messed up and so weren't able to. And there was some mental illness going on and some, um, and some other factors, and, you know, lots of different, you know, unseen forces and perhaps even demonic forces. I don't know what, what all was involved in, in. It's complicated. It was very complicated, but I signed up for the pain, okay? And, 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 and you would ask, you might ask, why would you do that? <coughs> and my answer is that I wanted to, I wanted to experience the pain and get it behind me so that I could move forward in life and not have to feel it anymore. I wanted to be able to, to get the full extent of romantic pain for unrequited love feeling. I wanted to to just swim in it for a while until I had enough. And when I had enough, I had enough. It's kind of like, it's like going to prison, you know? You go to prison and you experience that and then you don't need to experience it again. And if you if you swim in some real pain, uh, romantic love pain, then you'll get to a point where you don't have to experience it anymore. You get to the point where like, okay, I did that and I don't need to do it again. Well, did you ever need to do it? Um, I felt like I, 
I felt, yeah, I mean, um, maybe not, but, um, I'm better for it. Well, so now what happens, put the case, your whole intention, your whole, you want to be authentic, you want to be true to your higher self, which you are aware of. You have dedication to God Most High to bring forth your godlike qualities into the world through loving people, unconditionally forgiving, and seeing the highest good for yourself and others, loving yourself and loving others, as God loves, as you've received God's love. So how then do you go about finding and creating a relationship, you know, where this can thrive, where love can be at home, where love can live? Is there anything that you can do? What do you be? I mean, will beingness suffice in this? And what does beingness actually need to look like in the physical? Your your eternal beingness of being love, what does it need to show up like in the physical to say, I invite openness, I invite communication, I hear you, I listen to you, I care to know where you are, and I, you know, I need to well, totally understand and be available, and it has to go both ways. Yeah, so you're stuck on that, and we're circling that, so let me throw something at you. Um, I, I'm circling because I don't think we've solved it. We haven't yeah, well, it's not an easy thing to solve, but let me, let me uh, th- th- throw this at you. Um, the good, the true, and the beautiful. Okay, now as I've developed this in my own philosophy, I see that uh, the good and the true can become fraudulent because uh, we, we, at stage one of our development, which I call structure, is the core value is good. Okay, so you might be attracted to a romantic partner who mirrors the good, you know, that you're seeking. But then you conflict because there's truth outside of your relationship that you don't agree on. And then the second level of, of spiritual awareness would be skepticism, where the core value is truth. And you can find somebody who maybe resonates with your idea of truth, but then you conflict on the, what is good. In other words, you have some religious ideas about good and they don't. Okay, so so these two things, uh, when you're dating somebody who's in the structure and you're in structure, you might make it work if you're both focused on good and, and you have some, uh, you know, that's your core value. Or if you're in structure and skepticism and that you raise to that skeptic stage and then, you know, the core value is truth and you have some kind of scientific idea of the way the world is and you meet a romantic partner that shares that, then you might be able to make that work. But it seems to me that the whole idea, that the core values of structure being good and the core value of, of skepticism being truth are in many ways deeply fraudulent because 
there you're seeking the good as a core value but really it's not good because you're making judgments about everybody else that's not good right and then the idea of truth is not is fraudulent because you're saying that your truth is true and everyone else's truth truth is false so that's not so 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 this is the thing people circle around you know what i mean and so the third stage then would be the beautiful and the beautiful is just being present now okay when you're in that state where you appreciate beauty you're in the present moment you're in the eternal now you're saying this this food that i'm eating tastes wonderful this music that i'm listening to is wonderful these are things that bring you that you recognize as beautiful and you can appreciate and but you can only appreciate those things truly appreciate those things when you relinquish those stages that came before when you relinquish this core value of good this core value of truth which is just conflict hiding itself it's just the ego doing some bullshit and so if you can just rise to this appreciation of beauty and then the partner that you're with your romantic partner you see them as beautiful and you, and you tell them Absolutely. you are beautiful and they may have a scar on their face they may have some teeth that got knocked out in an automobile accident they may be self-conscious and have low self-esteem that isn't but, the definition of beauty that you're now seeing in them right and when they feel you genuinely expressing how beautiful they are they receive that and they're touched by that they're feeling it through their um they know that you're not lying they know that you're a good person they know that you're telling the truth they sense it they know it they can read your face it's because the polyvagal you know nerve has connected you to them in that way and this is happening at the heart level right. it's not a brain thing right see the lower levels are all left brain stuff you've got this good which is left brain you got this truth which is left brain because it's all fraudulent left brain nonsense and you're calling it good and you're calling it true but it's not either one and it's only to rise up to the beautiful and to the mystic level and the being so step you've moved from fraudulent to authentic yeah there it seems yeah. like to me yeah and then when you you will at that point attract a, a romantic partner who has that same who will receive that and appreciate that and resonate with that and you'll be able to connect with them on that level and there and there's no need to go back into the let's talk about what is good and let's talk about what is true because that's all bullshit the only thing that really matters is i think you're beautiful and you think i'm beautiful and that's all we need and with this feeling this awareness is a an attitude i have to say this i absolutely feel this is central the attitude of gratitude mm. you yeah. when you are in the present moment and you are connected with the presence of god most high and you understand unconditional love and you seek to express unconditional love they the gratitude for all of life in every facet and for the beauty that you see around you and in other people the the, yes. the gratitude flows yes. freely yes and you know what the effect of that is the effect of that is it changes the world it does yeah it absolutely changes so when you find place. someone that you can say i find you beautiful and they can say i find you beautiful and the two of you find beauty in each other the world opens up to being beautiful and guess what the there's a 
it's like it's like putting ideas into the ether and other people picking up on it only it's not an idea it's not a concept it's more of the polyvagal nerve the the heart the, the gut right. the feeling is being you're you're connecting with this person as beautiful you are beautiful to me and when you share in that beauty with each other then that is the light of the world that Jesus says, be a light into the world. Why? Because it changes the world. You don't have to go out and convert somebody and get them to study the Bible and get them baptized. All that nonsense. Every time you have a situation where you can reach out in gratitude and unconditional love and see the beauty and really, really be there in the present moment with the beauty and the gratitude and the love, this is changing the world because it's opening it's it's opening the way for other people to experience the same thing and that's what the polyvagal thing was talking about really it's like saying look if if you're if you feel safe you don't feel threatened then you're going to share that feeling of right. safety with other people right. and they're going to experience right. it they're going to right. feel it right. okay but if you're going around feeling closed down and negative and like somebody hurt me and that somebody done me wrong song playing in your head then guess what other people start to pick up on that and feel the same way and they want to protect themselves right so it's it's like we human beings need to uh move into that space of gratitude and beauty and being so that we can all experience gratitude That's and right. beauty and That's, being. And see it as our duty and our opportunity. And be very to live this way. And be aware of how we can slip back into the earlier stages of structure and skepticism and truth and good and all this bullshit where we divide and judge against each other right. and protect ourselves. We have to understand the mechanisms which have steered us through there in the past. Right. And could pull us back down. And such mechanisms, I mean, the world will teach us, for instance, that who we love and how we love is based on what we're seeking in another person. I have a laundry list, and I'm looking to find this in the other person. I want them to be X tall, X, X pounds, X color, oh my, whatever, color hair, color, uh, whatever you're going to, stupid things that you're going to say, that is a prerequisite to whether or not and how whether much or not. you can love them yeah. and, uh, and find them to be beautiful. Oh yeah, I have a lot of love to give. I'm going to unleash my unconditional love if they have a nice breasts or if they have a bubble butt or if they have dark skin or if they have blue eyes or what? Because otherwise I'm not, <laughs> quote, attracted, unquote, yeah. to them. Right. Okay, now what on earth does this mean? What on earth does this mean? If... The beauty is superimposed based on your uh, salient. Salient on on whether they're what you find salient. What you find salient about them. Yeah, which is like a moving target, and it's like it, it's all based on social conditioning and. And all. what is salient always changes. So what you find salient about them yeah. in ten or twenty or thirty years, you won't find salient anymore. Well, it's like the classic example is uh, athletes. You know, you have you have African American athletes who get married to blonde-haired, blue-eyed women because why? Because they grew up seeing that on the cover of the magazine, yep. and they were taught that this yep. is this is what success in America yep. looks like. Yep. So that's salient to them. Yep. But it, so I can love her because that's success in society. That shows that I've achieved something. She's the you know 
that's salient the, for me. Yeah. So that's going to be equated with love. I yeah. can love what is going to give me salient gratification. Now, on but the other hand, on the other hand, let's say that you um, you find a partner or someone that you find attractive or beautiful that you could love unconditionally, and that person maybe is the same sex, or maybe that person is. Uh, disfigured in some way or you know they're not acceptable they're not redeemable by society by your family by other people who might view the situation you know you might have to encounter some rejection on the part of uh, you know what you've been taught and to believe is right or wrong or immoral and all this bullshit it's all bullshit all I mean everybody else's opinion yeah. that's, that's been poured on you that you've tried to get validation by submitting to right. is bullshit okay what is not bullshit is beauty. And anything that would rob you of beauty is bullshit. So you start out defining, well, I cannot love this one because I'm not attracted to them. Or I am not looking for that person as one to love because I already have characteristics that I've pointed out that I want to uh, find. Okay. So all of this is mistaken. All of it's going in the dish before it even starts. The thing is, in your gratitude, if you can link up from the heart with another person and see their beauty, and they can do likewise, then you have something, you know, to build on. You have something to move into that's real, that's authentic, that there's hope for this situation. And then guess what? This is the mystery of mysteries. All this malarkey that you talked about. I couldn't uh, imagine being with them because I'm not attracted sexually to them. Guess what? When you see them as beautiful and you see them with gratitude and your heart is just constantly pouring out this green chakra light. You're lighthearted. Yeah. And guess what? They are everything you want. Mm -hmm. They are completely like you're attracted to them. Mm -hmm. There's not some question like, okay, well, I don't think I, you know, actually could do anything with them because I wouldn't be feeling it. How insane. I mean, this is where this society has begun to go in the ditch already. Is you're, you're well, already assigning I can't love you mm -hmm. this way because... I, first of all, have to get my... Uh, Validation some other way. And, and my little, my little, you have to satisfy my fuzzies that how I, uh, you have to appeal to me in these sensory ways that I've already established and, and that that's, I'm trying to get. But, and that's all social conditioning, really. Oh, it is. Yeah, and, it it, is. and so a lot of it is, I can't date this kind of person because my family wouldn't accept it. Right. So there's a big factor oh, yeah. there. So that's the Tons this is of limitations yeah, to so love. All kinds Locks of to love. Yeah, and it's all bullshit. And it's, meanwhile, it's all you're bullshit. not asking, okay, where does God most high you know, intend me to go? Hmm. To what person am I to go to? Hmm. Where uh, where is my destiny to find love? And is it you if you already pointed out that you had the laundry list and you're not you're already telling God, I'm not open to go where, 
to meet the person I'm supposed to meet because I already am setting up the conditions. Well, part, let me stop you there. Part of the conditions there you, you, you're suggesting is that there is like a one person that's their soulmate. And this is a fraudulent idea also. There's no such thing as soulmates. I believe that there are soul ties. Okay. Right. And, soul and, families. Yes. So you can connect with somebody and that's a soul tie. Okay. But the idea that you're going to, that there's one person for you and you just have to find them and uh, you know it's nonsense. It's romantic nonsense. It's just setting yourself up for for failure. It's another one of these bullshit stories, and we just need to let go of that. Okay, so I'm saying love everybody, find beauty everywhere, and if you do that, you will attract a partner who is on the same level and resonates with that. And that person may not be accepted by your family. It may be somebody who's the same sex. It may be someone who doesn't fit the bill and what you expected one way or another. They may have some physical. Uh, thing that's not beautiful but the fact is when you spend time with somebody you fall in love so you have to be careful about who you spend time with all right don't fall in love with somebody who is a uh uh you know has american values of good and true and judgment about this and i'm a republican and i'm a democrat and i'm gonna i hate this people and these i mean full of opinions and full of judgments of one sort or another that's not someone to be involved with. I'm sorry. And if you do spend time with them, yes, you will fall in love with them because that's how it works. Okay? But why not find somebody who's who's more emptied themselves of all that bullshit or maybe never accumulated it in the first place. Someone who is more simple. Someone who is just uh, receive, you know, able to receive beauty and be grateful. That's what you want to spend time with. That's who you want to spend time with. That's who you want to fall in love with. Because falling in love is not a hard thing to do. It's an easy thing to do. Just spend time with somebody. You'll fall in love. That's it. Okay. But who is it you're going to choose to spend time with? Why not make it someone who has emptied themselves or doesn't have all this preconceived judgment about the world? Let you know, and someone who's just simple, someone who's just grateful, it is. It's someone simple. who's just—it's very simple. It's someone who can Being appreciate this is simplicity. Yes, and it doesn't need why. And you're not going to find fulfillment by stepping out of simplicity. There's nothing fulfilling by being, uh, uh, what's the word, sophisticated. What's 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 fulfilling about being sophisticated? What does it mean? Well, sophisticated is complicated. <laughs> and and who needs that? And that's only going to set yourself up for disappointment. Yeah, it's you, it's only going to cause conflict. It's only going to lead to the neuroticism that you talked about, because it's all bullshit. If it's complicated, it's a snag. It's gonna it's gonna be a trap, and you're not gonna be able to. The advice that I've been given over and over is like. Being with somebody who you truly love and are happy with should not be a lot of work. It should be effortless. Right. right. And that pretty much says it all. Okay. So um, I'm going to have to cut this off because it's time for me to go to work. But I think we've covered some ground. I think that we discussed this really well. Mm -hmm. I think we really made a wonderful uh, uh, discussion of this topic. Yes. Well, it was unexpected. It was spontaneous. I didn't know we were going to go there, but um, it was on my mind. It was on your mind, and it just came to the surface. And, and I think that, you know, uh, things that we talked about previously kind of led us to be able to make some discoveries and some right. conclusions. Right. Yeah. There's a lot that goes into this conversation. Yeah, a lot behind the yeah. scenes. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. So I think someone listening to this would benefit from hearing this because this is uh, this is not just on your mind and my mind. I think this is the this is we're dealing with you know. What is the future of humanity? What's going to save humanity? Well, we're going to have to learn to love each other. And the more people who can get into a, the beauty state and the bliss state and the being state, they're going to radiate joy, peace, and happiness. And when they do that, it's going to be received by others. And other people who are in the mode of protecting themselves and not wanting to be vulnerable and worried about security, that's going to start to drop. It is. And the thing that's... It isn't hard to approach this. It's simple. Yeah. It's simple. Yeah. It's simplicity itself. Yeah. What is difficult is maintaining the second set of qualifications that you mentioned. Well, the, that is very the first stage of structure. Depleted. It's like you have to work, man. Yeah. You got to work hard to be virtuous, and then the second level of skepticism, you have to work hard to be scientific, and you have to be reasonable and rational, and you have to reject the religion. And you have to be and able make to make the right judgment. Yeah. So these the first two levels of spiritual awareness involve a lot of work, and there's no reward for it. None. You end up thinking you're, you're you know that you're going to have a, a romantic love affair that turns to shit. Okay, time and time again, but you're stuck in this uh, core value of good and core value of truth, which is fraudulent because you cannot let go of your shadow. So you're projecting, and all it's and it's just nonsense. Until you can get to that third stage of beauty and gratitude and stepping into being, that's when, that's when you're. And in the, that comes after you've released your shadow. You say, "Okay, yeah. I, I'm not trying to mend it. I'm not trying to heal it. Right. I simply right. can step into the light and accept." That's sufficient healing now for me to go forward. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. And right. the, and the and the, the fact that there are stages of development doesn't mean that they that you have to labor in those stages for years and years. You can actually step into being right now at this present moment because it's that's all you have. That's and all that's you ever what have. Jesus was saying and what the Bible was saying today is the day of salvation. You could Whatever salvation is going to be for you in your life now, mm-hmm. salvation can be expressed by stepping into the light, yeah. stepping into the love, loving yourself mm-hmm. and loving others with acceptance and without judgment and without setting up, uh, you know, you can stop fire hurt- hoops for them to jump through. You can stop hurting yourself whenever you decide to stop hurting yourself. And in that romantic relationship that I was in for three for three years. I didn't want, I, at no point did I decide to stop hurting myself. I wanted to keep hurting myself. And this is the state that most people are in. You know, this is the neurotic craziness that goes on in the world. It, it's self-inflicted pain. They're, they choose to be in pain. People, and they, they confuse it with, I don't know, it's like some substitute for, the, for, for unconditional love oh. because unconditional love seems pretty frightening. So we're gonna we're just gonna deal with what we know. We're gonna live in this uh, self-inflicted pain all our lives, and you know, deal with these subjects of good and true, and, and like go around and around. How much of our life do we have to live on this double-edged sword that we're hoping for love? We believe that love will be our redemption, that love will be our fulfillment and our golden age. And yet, we believe that love has hurt us and that love is painful. I mean, back in the 60s, there was a wonderful piece of music. I loved it dearly and listened to it all. I still listen to it. Uh, 
Paul Mariette, you know, and his orchestra did this treatment of it, which was very popular. It's still available on the YouTube. It's called Love is Blue. Huh. Fabulous tune. You never forget it. Huh. And, you know, how many, how long are we going to be caught in ambivalence between hoping for love, mm. wanting to trust love, mm -hmm. wanting to have love completely take us by storm mm -hmm. into paradise, mm -hmm. and yet fearing that love is blue. <laughs> well, the hoping is promise. It's the, it's, the, it's the thing that Krishnamurti talked about. He said there is no becoming. Right. You're either... You do or do not. There and and no to try. Yeah, well, that's the Yoda statement. That's the Yoda statement. But that's really. But it's along the same lines. Yeah, thanks to George Lucas. But let's go. Let's go back to what uh, actually was said by Krishnamurti, and he's saying there is no being. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. There is no becoming. Becoming. Okay. But there is being. Well, and now when you to me, this is because we already are what we are. We so, are as we were created. So what we have to do is step into it and what I mean step into it I mean all of the cognitive ability and emotional uh, toxic emotion and psychic pain that's been that we carry around with us is because we don't step into it so we just need to drop it right now and step into it because it's who you are it's not like you're becoming anything when it's recognizing it what's a, we have a tendency to dabble our toes in it right cautiously yeah modal confusion yeah yeah, so you're still doing the having and the doing, but you're just dabbling right. with being. Dabbling. dabbling, dabbling with being, and yeah. this will never work. Yeah, yeah. We that's, have to give ourselves that's a recipe confidently for, to our beingness. I trust our beingness. Stop hurting yourself. Okay? Stop hurting yourself. Stop it. And then, of course, when we hurt ourselves, then we look outside ourselves to find the name of our pain. We can't recognize that we're doing it. Well, we're in a codependency. We can't recognize our role. Yeah, yeah, well, the shadow. But that, but that's a codependent relationship with pain. You know, and so that's the whole thing, you know. And so it's like we, we have a, a codependent relationship with pain. We can't let it go. If I tell somebody, stop hurting yourself, it doesn't help them. Because they don't know how to stop hurting themselves. So I could, you could say stop hurting yourself. Does that help? No. In other words, does a person understand where what causes pain? Are we back to... Well, into my again, my model is the good, the true, and the beautiful. And, the, and, and if you have a core value of good, you're inviting pain. If you have a core value of truth, you're inviting pain. You have to connect to source, which is beauty, because that's where there's the pain is released. There is no more pain. You're in the present moment. You're in the beauty of life because you're grateful for what God has revealed to you. Well, it's presence. like the phone. If you never plug it up to the wall to recharge the battery, you're running on a dead battery. Versus when you plug something in and you're, you have live current, you have you, this is. You have to be with your source to experience life. And when you're disconnected from your source, you experience weakness, disease, death. All of these things result. Mm -hmm. 
they, they result even at an astronomical planetary level. This is true of all of life, all over the, at every level. You have to understand that you are not separate, and you have to move into the connection with the divine. You have to be willing to join with yourself and others. You have to do so with a realization and a gratitude for the love, the unconditional love that you have been given. And you have to realize that it's now your role as respiration, giving and receiving. Just like breathing in and out. It's your role now to live the same kind of love. Mm-hmm. But it isn't. You have to be ready to realize, I've never really understood this. I've never tried to implement it. It may be that I will have some a rocky beginning. Or I might have some missteps. But I have to try. And just like anything else, I have to pick myself up and be resilient if I fall down. Yeah, you have to maintain openness and vulnerability. If you get into the mode of protecting yourself and that security becomes the most important thing, you're on the wrong path. You're not going to get there. This is not a self-righteous uh, expectation of perfection. No. No. Or legalistic uh, or, no. or or rational or any of that. You know, All of those things that we value, uh, the good and the true, as I call it, um, are, are not going to get you there. You're not going to get there through the good and the true. Okay. Once you step into beauty, then you have you become uh, a. There is good and there is true. That's obvious. But it wasn't through the good and the true that you got to beauty. You have to step into that. And in a way, when you have stepped into it, you become translucent. The light literally shines, begins to shine through you. And that's the thing about. Then, in relationship, two people shining their light towards each other, illuminating each other, then there's power in this. Yes, but it can be deeply offensive to other people. It can, you know, it can, it can, I, it can be. It people can really can hate be. seeing two right. people that have light right. and love each other. Right. And especially if they're the same sex, that could really be offensive to some people. I mean, they don't know what to do with that. Oh, they, they. Yeah, they may think they know. They what get to really do. angry they, on a they, visceral level because right. they they see you having what they want, and then they say what you're doing is immoral or wrong. You see what I mean? That's the good and the true. Once again, uh, fucking with you, and it's all bullshit. Other people's opinions and uh, judgments, you've got to let that go. It's all bullshit. Okay, just like you can bullshit yourself. One of the ways that we bullshit ourselves is by buying into other people's bullshit. We got to let go of all of that. You got to just step into beauty, find a, a partner that you can find to be beautiful. They find you to be beautiful. Who cares what other people think? Well, okay. I think that it has always been true that uh, God does not judge us according to who we love or how we love, but whether we love. Right, and that's why I say there's no such thing as like the one person, this romantic idea of having a soul, the soulmate that you're waiting to meet your soulmate. No, you, you, you need to just love unconditionally. And you and if you love unconditionally, that means that anyone you meet could be a potential romantic partner. Okay? But you've got to identify the, the ones that are that, that are that are not worthy of your time because you don't want to fall in love with the wrong person and you can start to learn that what it is you're looking for simplicity 
Simplicity. Don't look for sophistication. If you're if you're trying to get involved romantically with somebody who's sophisticated, you're inviting a lot of trouble into your life. It brings to mind Mariah Carey's song, The Beautiful Ones. Have you ever heard that, The Beautiful Ones? No, I haven't. It's, it, it really talks about, you know, people that you think, oh, this is the highest, uh, my highest ideal of who I could love. I really would just be drawn to them and treasure them, but... Why? Because it, it gives because, you validation? Well, because it's like your ideal. Perhaps yeah. it's, but it's your ideal. Based but on they what? can't love you. They can't no. love anybody because they are so in love with themselves. Mm, well, that happens, yeah. I, I encountered that. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're a neuros, uh, what's it called? Narcissist? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so so there's, I mean, if if you detect narcissism, or some, that's a that's a sign that I don't want to spend time with this person because I know I could fall in love with them. They're beautiful or whatever. Right. But um, if I spend time with them, then it's going to be unrequited love because they don't have the capacity to give back. Which so, which is destructive. Oh, it's I'm, very it's chemicals in your brain that get released because of uh, unrequited love is no joke. You can really feel some pain, you know, and so so yeah that, so. That's you don't want to go there, you know. And it's not about protecting yourself. That's not because you're willing to love anyone. Okay, you're willing to give unconditional love to everyone. That, but but you learn through life that other people are not able to give and receive love, and that's not somebody you want to spend time with and fall in love with. You could be friends with them. You can you can give a, a love to them in a way, you know. But but you're not going to uh, keep it professionally. You might say you don't want to. Right. You know, it can't become. The romantic yeah partner. right right so when you're talking about finding the romantic partner ideally you want somebody who is not sophisticated somebody who is simple and just able to receive and and give love okay and, and that how is, do you recognize this person they delight your heart mm, yeah they make your heart light yeah 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 and that reaffirms what you the the relationship you have with the divine so this enhances right. it. Right. And that's not a bad thing. Right. That's a good thing. That's exactly what you want. Yeah. That means it won't be a special relationship. Right. A special relationship is another word for codependent, messed up, right. psychic. Right. Messed up. Messed Messing up. up. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Yeah. We want to avoid that. We've done that enough. You've uh, So stop hurting yourself. And, you know, the best way to stop hurting yourself is to relinquish... Uh, the good and the true because you don't know what is good and you don't know what is true but you instinctively and it, it, you innately know what is beautiful focus on that focus on beauty and be grateful if you do that you'll attract a partner who does the same that's my theory and mine I totally agree I think we are absolutely we've, we've laid this out in a way that we could not have done it better, and it has universal interest and uh, application. And all we can do is desire that every single person that hears this and has spoken can realize, come to full realization and fruition of these things in our lives. Yeah, so in closing, uh, I would just say that when you are um, a light into the world, um, because of... Uh, being in this appreciation of beauty and, and having a gratitude for it and being in, in, in connection with Source, when that is the space of being in which you um, operate, then 
you know, the the polyvagal thing, you know, your your defense, you know, you're able to communicate, to share that. You become right. a light to the world, and the world is transformed. Other people are around you, people you work with, people that and you associate with. And this is automatic and yeah. autonomic. Yeah, that's it. This isn't even a work. Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. It just happens. Yeah. We're designed that way. We're created that way. But we fuck it up with the bullshit. Well, when we're not radiating <laughs> it, we have, we, you know, thank goodness we're not radiating the pain. The pain doesn't radiate. Well, in some ways, way. I think it does. Like people, well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean it, the it, thing it, is, when you're suffering, you cause people around you to suffer. When you're not enlightened, you cause other people not to mm. become enlightened. Yeah. So, so maybe the better thing to say, instead of stop hurting yourself, stop being an obstacle to enlightenment. Right. How about that? Right. Throwing obstacles down in, in your own path yep. and in other people's yep. path. That's right. Yeah. Closing off, signing off. <laughs>